attacks of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axel Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me today, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. It's nice and sunny here today, which is, uh, improves my mood quite a bit. You sound incredibly calm, given that we are just two <laughs> days away as of the recording of this podcast from E3, and oh my god, I'm having a panic attack. I don't know what to do, Nadia. Yeah, Cat's uh, having some uh, some problems, so everyone send her your thoughts and prayers. Uh, <laughs> Myself, I'm very much the kind of person who does their freaking out early, and then I enter this state of calm zen, and I just kind of stare into the distance for a while, and I man- and then I think about how big the universe is, and then I feel a little bit better about what I have to do. See, I used to freak out because I was like, oh my god, there's so much to write. Oh my god, this is so exhausting. But then it's like, oh wait, I also have to organize it. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of different, isn't it? Like, you're really you're responsible for all of us you're like one of those mothers who has like 50 Aww. kids on a leash <laughs> nadia stop hitting stop hitting matt nadia stop it because you think it's just like oh we'll cover go to the press conferences and play some games and write about them but it's like there's like i'm playing like three-dimensional chess here right yeah like, exactly I, well but i also have to like set up time so that people can have time to write and then what else are we going to be covering and making sure that we get these interviews mm-hmm. and what's the social media plan and ah! <laughs> but you're i think you, like the first time i went to e3 i was so surprised at how like just thoroughly my adrenaline took over it was like nothing else i hadn't felt like i forgot to eat but the mm. adrenaline was just insane and yes. I, I think you'll be all right the eating part is important also <laughs> the staying hydrated part because i think if you're not careful you're gonna be falling apart by like day two yeah, you can crash pretty hard. It happened to, I can't remember what show it was, but I did see someone collapse. They had to go to the hospital because they, they pushed oh themselves God. a bit too hard. So don't do that, cat. The absolute worst E3 I ever did was with first year US Gamer uh, 2014 because I made a mistake. I was dumb. I stayed in, because of the hotels weren't sorted properly, I ended up staying in West Hollywood. And oh. if you're familiar with LA at all, West Hollywood is roughly you know 15 minute drive away from the city mm-hmm. which doesn't sound so bad but it's actually much worse than <laughs> especially during e3 and worse even than that in the morning i had to contend with traffic to get over yes. to the show floor so that was a good 30 minutes just sitting in the car trying to get over there which was exhausting in itself and yeah, then la like, traffic is legendary and then i'm working until 1 a.m in like a in a um in a cafe like oh my god like uh, that was not a good e3 for me for my it's sanity the, it's the most wonderful time of the year cat it's the most wonderful time <laughs> of the, oh, year. the year oh my god no it's not but you know, <laughs> at the same time like there's the energy right you're feeding on the energy you're excited like yeah. you see all of your friends um from around the country people are flying in from literally all over the world uh there are people in costumes it feels like a giant party Right, mm. like there's the excitement and the energy of the press conferences. Everybody's totally tuned in. You're seeing all these new games. You're going, "Oh, this is so cool! This is going to be great." The uh, the first E3 I went to, 2006. I remember I was walking with Parrish and Sharky, and uh, we saw like there were vans everywhere for Mountain Dew, and that was the first time I learned 
Mountain Dew was really a huge thing in America, and it was never a huge <laughs> thing in Canada. And I learned why. It's because Mountain Dew in Canada, for the longest time, did not have caffeine in it. So no kidding. Yeah, so I didn't learn until that year that it that Mountain Dew is just this hyper-caffeinated beverage in America. Oh, yeah, and every, no. And, yeah, sugar and, and sugar and caffeine. Yeah, and Sharky and, and Parrish were like, well, why does anyone drink it in Canada then? And I said, nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> nobody should drink it here, too. Yeah. Uh, it's kinda... <laughs> I'd rather have the crab juice. <laughs> <laughs> Hillbilly piss, as my husband calls it. Ah, oh, that's a classic. All right, uh, so we got a lot to cover, um, most of it RPG news. Um, sorry, we're not going to be doing the Chrono Trigger and Persona 4 Golden Reports as I had yeah. planned because uh, there's actually way too much to cover today. Yeah, it's going to have to wait a little bit uh, until the E3 hype dies down a bit, I suppose. Yes, I'm thinking so. So, but, uh, so what we are going to talk about, we're going to talk about the Pokemon announcements that happened earlier this week. We're going to be talking about Jason Schreier's massive... Mass Effect Andromeda expose and come to think of it I should have gotten him on the podcast but on the other hand the man is just finishing up a book <laughs> and he is no doubt planning for E3 so that's probably a I was gonna a say no-go. like not that he'd tell you in so many words but I think you asked Jason Schreier to come on our podcast right before E3 he'd tell you to F off and very nicely <laughs> and very politely but it's like <laughs> no 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 um yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about Etrian Odyssey 5, A Strange Journey, and Radiant Historia localizations being leaked. And we're going to do a quick E3 preview with the RPGs and what we're, going to hope, what we're hoping to see out of E3. But let's get started with Pokemon Ultra Salt. <laughs> all the salt. Pokemon, all the salt. So yesterday, which would have been a Tuesday as of the recording of this podcast, I wake up at 7 in the morning, my time, it's 10 a.m., Nadia's time. And we tune in to the Nintendo Direct, and everybody's expecting Pokemon Stars. Here it comes. It's going to be on the Nintendo Switch. Everybody's excited. All right, here we go. A port of Pokemon uh, Sun and Moon from the Nintendo Switch. Sure, yeah, it came out a year ago, but who cares? Like, yeah. That's fine. Like, It's going to be on the Switch. It's going to be awesome and in HD. And I, I, I loved how the Pokemon Company CEO trolled us by going, Yes. The first yes, Pokemon right. Company, the first Pokemon game on the Nintendo Switch will be. And everybody goes, <gasps> And he goes, Pokemon Pokemon Tournament DX. And everybody goes, Ugh. Ugh. Just an irritated exhale all over the world. Heard all Followed the world. by like a five minute, like, promotional reel of the all the usual pokemon stuff like people around the world looking happy and hanging out with the switch and playing pokemon tournament and everything it was a cute trailer it was a cute trailer and to tell you the truth i didn't hate pokemon pokemon tournament i i didn't think it was amazing or anything i think it it always looked cute to me but i just never played it i never bothered um, I, I think some of it was that it got a little repetitive for me. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really care to continue like leveling up to the story, like the challenges mm-hmm. and everything. And like, it wasn't that deep, right? Like I, I found, I found kind of my teams and I was being fairly successful at them. Maybe, maybe I would have gotten completely rolled by the FGC (laughs) (laughs) when it came to Pokemon tournament, but it didn't hold my attention for long. I I suppose it could end up being pretty good on the switch. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but uh, I I don't know. Like maybe, maybe it's just that fighting games aren't super my thing, but um, after Pokemon tournament, uh, they did come out and it looked like, Oh, okay. 
Oh, here we go. All right. Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon for the 3DS. 3DS. Not for the Switch, for the 3DS. And commence all of the complaining on the internet. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, what is Game Freak doing? I'm freaking out that I'm not going to get the damn port for a Nintendo uh, Pokemon Stars on the Switch. What are they doing? Grr, grr, grr. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Uh, Nadia, what were your thoughts? You know what? At first, I was kind of irritated. Uh, but then I realized, well... Pokemon has always been a very kind of a late system series. Like, hell, I mean, it extended the life of the Game Boy far longer than it should have been alive. Uh, Black White, Black 2, like, that was also extended the DS's life for quite a bit. So I'm I'm not all that surprised, really. It, it'd be, and thinking on it, it'd be very stupid of Nintendo to, to kill the 3DS by not, re- you know, by not releasing these games on it, because the 3DS is still selling very well, and it's there's still a lot of demand for the system. And I can see, given how well Sun and Moon did on the 3DS, I can see Sun and Moon, uh, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, being another nice boost for the system. So... And then I think about it too. Is like if I played it on the Switch, and it was called Pokemon Stars. It's still the same concept, isn't it? Like a, another adventure in Alola. Like mm-hmm. so, I can't get too mad. But about it's on it your Switch. Switch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't say I'm not a little disappointed that I can't play it on the Switch. But um, yeah, I, I'm thinking on it. I'm not as salty as I once was. So here's my counterpoint. Uh, in the past, when they have released a third version, they have usually waited at least two years to be mm-hmm. able to do that. And usually they put out something else in between. Not always, but usually. Uh, case in point, Ruby and Sapphire comes out, I believe, in the fall of 2002. And Emerald doesn't come out until 2005. Yeah. Um, Diamond and Pearl come out in 2007 here. And Platinum comes out in 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, black and white come out in early 2011 i 2010 2011 i think it was early 2011 yeah yeah um and black 2 white 2 end up coming out in late 2012 so th- it always felt like there was and black 2 white 2 by the way was a sequel okay? that's true yes i mean yeah like it's in the same universe and everything but it, it's it's different mm-hmm. it has new story the whole works so I, it feels like really compressed time schedule uh, because it's been it's only been about six months since Sun yeah. and Moon originally came out, and now they're asking us to pay for another full price version, dual versions. They said that there's going to be an alternate story, but they did not call it a sequel. Mm, you got a point there. Yeah, I suspect they would have called it Pokemon Sun Two and Moon Two if that mm. had been the case, and so. Like, I suspect that by alternate story, what they mean is something akin to what they did in Emerald, which was they had, they unified the story of Ruby and Sapphire into one game. Right. And, like, added some new stuff, and then they gave Rayquaza, like, a much expanded role. Yeah, Um, and I like Rayquaza. They might have some, like, added content, which I totally expect. Um, Who knows? Like, maybe that alternate story will be... Um, spoiler alert, at the end of Sun and Moon, uh, one of the main characters goes off to Kanto to become a trainer. Mm. Maybe we'll follow her progress. That'd be nice. I'd like that, actually, quite a bit. I, I would be into that. And everybody's always going, ah, I want the game that sends us to Kanto. I, I want the second quest from Soul Sil- uh, Heart Gold and Soul Silver, Gold and Silver, whatever. And actually, there might be a hint here. Because 
during the presentation, they announced gold and silver for the yes, eShop. That's right. That's a good and point. And of course, gold and silver was famous for its second quest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which uh, Iwata programmed, by the way. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, he famously programmed it. Uh, he was the one who enabled them to be able to squeeze all of that mm. into one cartridge because the man was a god of programming, which is amazing. He really was. Oh, I miss him. But um, there's also very possible, I still believe we can still hear about Pokemon Stars. It just seems weird that we would hear so much about this game and then it just disappears into the ether. So I would not be like, I would not like jump out of my pantaloons and in shock if, <laughs> if like we hear about Pokemon Stars in, during the Nintendo Direct presentation, because it could, given how small these presentations usually are, maybe Nintendo wanted to get the, the you know, the superfluous, pardon my pronunciation there, just the, the lesser Pokemon news out of the way before, you know, just dedicating, zeroing in on stars, because that would, like, kind of line up with what you said earlier about how there was usually something in between the, you know... The, the the other games the or the remakes and you know just the new games so I don't know who knows what they have up their sleeves so this is what I will say I think uh, I I think that it's not an insignificant release mm-hmm. um, in the sense that the 2ds XL is coming out this fall mm-hmm. that's true uh, Nintendo wants to push that platform um, to squeeze out some extra sales from the 3ds. Um, and as you will recall, uh, there were major shortages of the 3DS mm. when Sun and Moon came out. Still hard to so find. So I'm, sh- I'm sure they have that in mind when they put out Ultra Sun and Ultra mm-hmm. Moon. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, th- I see this pretty strictly as a play to get <laughs> one last game out before the holiday season and put it on the and like basically bundle it with the 2DS XL. And as somebody pointed out, the 2DS XL colors are basically Sun and Moon. <laughs> That's right. That's true. I never thought of that, but that's true. So they were already planning this. This was very much like, we're putting out the 2DS XL. It's going to have a Pokemon. It's going to be the improved version of Pokemon. People will go and buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a not a terrible like strategy. And in that case, if they put it out on Switch, that's going to totally undermine it. Yeah, exactly. So Because it would be like, oh, oh, I'm going to get on the Switch. Why would I get a 2DS XL for this? I'm going to get a Switch. I'm going to get for the Switch. Yeah. Good luck and I'm sure they're it. thinking... The Switch is doing fine. It doesn't need a Pokemon right now. If we're going to put mm-hmm. a Pokemon out on the Switch, it shouldn't be a past-generation remake from the 3DS. Right. right. If anything, like that would undermine the Switch a lot, putting the previous engine. Mm-hmm. Even like up-res, putting the previous engine, as nice as it looked, on the Switch would undermine it, in my opinion. Yeah, because uh, when uh, Pokemon moved to the 3DS, of course, it had like, that's when it went 3D. And it even though... Uh, Sun and Moon is still 3D in the same regard. It looks so much better than X and Y and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Omega, uh, Sapphire and Ruby. Mm-hmm. But by the same and by the same token, like somebody pointed out that last time they did this, Black White Black and White came out on the DS right around kind of near the end of its um, of the DS's lifespan, and people were like, when Black Two and White Two came out, the DS was effectively dead. Yes, and people were like, true. "Why, why are, why are they not putting this on the 3DS, which has already been out for more than a year?" Mm-hmm. And it was like they were working on a new engine for mm-hmm. the 3DS, and yeah. people complain about X and Y, but let's be honest, X and Y is miles beyond what Black and Two and White Two look. As much as I love Black Two and White Two, it looked mm-hmm. like a full generation difference. 
And it so did, I definitely. suspect that whenever they put this game on Switch, it's going to be with a whole new engine. It's going to be a whole new, whole new thing, and it's going to look really good. And we're not going to see it until 2019. Yeah, uh, if we do see anything at E3, it's definitely going to be like a, the tiniest of teasers. Uh, although it's really funny how when Pokemon, I don't know if you recall when Pokemon Sun and Moon were rumored. Uh, you and I were talking a lot about it and saying, oh, this is going to be announced for the Nintendo Switch. And they came out for the 3DS and everyone's like, what? That's a dead system. That's a dying system. Why is this happening? And then it turned out fine. So mm. same old, same old. Sun and Moon was great. Um, mm. They finally got the story right. Which yeah, is a I big really enjoyed thing. it. Uh, and they did a good job really balancing the story with some decent post-game content. Not amazing. Mm-hmm. Decent. Um I liked the hunts for the ultra monsters. That yes, was fun. Yes, that was a lot of fun. Um, or the ultra beasts, sorry. And I liked the I liked their take on the battle tower with uh, Gary and Ash. Mm-hmm. I would have liked a more substantial post game area, as they have put in previous games. Uh, to wit, in black and white, half the map, literally half the map, becomes accessible as soon as the game is finished for you mm-hmm. to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a special island. They have special islands in Diamond and Pearl and X and Y. So, like, there is a kind of a special area-ish that opens up uh, once you finish, um, uh, sorry, once you finish uh, Sun and Moon, but it's Mm -hmm. not very big. um, Yeah. And it's just the path leading up to the the tower or the the battle tower or whatever it's called. Um, So... With Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, I'm expecting that they're going to add a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm guessing that they'll add some kind of new feature, like some new kind of gimmicky mode uh, <laughs> to the uh, sort of like the Poco Star Studios. Do you remember mm-hmm. that, Nadia? Oh, yeah. I remember that. <laughs> I loved the Poco Star Studios. I got bored with it pretty fast, but I think you had a lot of fun with it. I adored it because it was so funny. My God. <laughs> and it was just a different take on the battle system. And I loved that when you, when your Pokemon started a movie successfully, they got a little star. Ah. So when they appeared in a battle, star would appear. That was awesome. <laughs> so you could tell other competitors, um, my Pokemon's a star, and yours is just a plebe. Yeah, pretty much. So it was <laughs> awesome when I would release my shining Haxorus. I would nice. throw it. It would burst out of a Master Ball, which had an awesome like effect anyway, mm. and then it would do the shiny effect and it would have the star <laughs> and everyone would just like close their 3ds their ds and just like walk away like i'm not touching that i'm not touching this shiny hack that's a movie star that was amazing um, <laughs> that's pretty great so i've said uh, i've said many times before black 2 and white 2 my favorite pokemon um and a lot of that is because of PokéStar Studios. A lot of that is due mm-hmm. to the Pokémon World Tournament, which was just this amazing nostalgia tour of finding all of the mm-hmm. all of the gym leaders from the past games. And you get that a little bit in X and Y, but not that much. You like fight Wally, you fight um, the you fight the main Elite Four champion from Sinnoh, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. by and large, like not nearly to the extent of the Pokémon World Tournament. Yeah. And also, I think one of my favorite things was when you completed the Alola decks, or not the Alola decks, the Unova decks, and you saw everybody, you would get access to the Secret Garden, which is where you would get your shiny Haxorus. And I thought that was awesome. <laughs> that was That's a great cool. gift for going out of my way to see mm-hmm. everybody in the Unova decks. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see that in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. Yeah, there are people who are saying, oh, you know, they, they just talk about 
black, when they heard the news about Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, they they started talking about black, white, and uh, two and uh, about how like it was a, a cheap cash in, but it really wasn't. It was what? That's yeah. garbage. There, there. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Yeah, I saw a sarcastic comment. Oh, because black two and white two was so good, right? Like, it was amazing. It is very much what you said. It was a a game for people who finished the first one and just wanted to do a lot more with. And it had a new story. I mean, what what more do you want? It was much more, it was much less uh, like platinum by comparison with like a cheap cash in compared to it, even though it had like, it had a crappier version of the Battle Frontier and that kind of thing. The best that you could say is that it rebalanced the game somewhat, introduced like the the new Rotom forms and had um, uh, like a new dungeon. Uh, That was pretty much it. Yeah. So like Black 2 and White 2 were miles better than Platinum, but I digress. Last note on the Pokemon thing. Mm-hmm. People who are hoping for a Diamond and Pearl remake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. First of all, that's not what Game Freak does. They don't do two remakes in one gen. That's all right. True. What I mean gen, I mean console gen. Mm-hmm. Fire Red and Leaf Green came out in 04. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black, uh, Gold and Silver came out in the DS. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire came out on the 3DS. Right. Okay, so that's a thing. Another thing is, I don't know if they're ever going to remake it. I have to say, Sinnoh was not my favorite. I don't think Diamond and Pearl is a favorite generation for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Um, I think that was the last time that I was really deeply, seriously into Pokemon, mm-hmm. um, was the Diamond and Pearl, like, where I was, like, really into the competitive scene in well, a way it's, that... It, it's funny that, like, people... Uh, I thought for ages that nobody liked Ruby and Sapphire, but then they remade them, and everyone just lost their shit because, no, I guess, because there are kids thought, who grew up with them. What's that? It's the kids who grew up with them. Yeah, exactly. But I didn't realize at the time, because I was by that point, I was reading the cynical reviews, like, oh, so just more of the same. These mm-hmm. Pokemon are boring. It's just a mm-hmm. bird. That sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And Hoenn is the worst region. Look at all this water. Too much water. Seven out of ten. Um, yeah, when it came out, it was kind of underwhelming at the time. But um, I like the Sinnoh region quite a bit. I think people were justified in feeling like it was kind of a rehash of mm-hmm. a lot of what Ruby and Sapphire did. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the engine on the Diamond and Pearl was like really slow. Yeah. But... <laughs> It was revolutionary at the time because it was the first Pokemon to have online play. That's true. Which had not been a thing until that point, and it it definitely changed mm-hmm. Pokemon. Like the of genesis course. of the competitive community as we know it today was definitely Diamond Pearl. Like it it mm-hmm. it started it like it goes way back, mm-hmm. like all the way back to the original like Red and Blue, right? Yeah, of course, like right. you had websites doing like competitions. You had bots on IRC that were, um, like that ha- that were emulating the game in a way so that you could battle like with just waves of text coming down. <laughs> I remember that. But that competitive community was a lot smaller of and course. a lot more intense and hardcore. And then Diamond and Pearl came out, and suddenly everybody was looking for tips, and they walked right into Smogon, which mm-hmm. at the time was very new. Mm-hmm. Like, Smogon's got it starting, like, 04, 05, and Diamond and Pearl came out in, like, 07. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think it has its place in history. Uh, it does a lot of stuff I liked with the battle system. Uh, like, actually, my happiest memories of competitive battling are in Diamond and Pearl because 
Uh-huh. Like many of the like major mechanical changes happen in that game. Mm-hmm. But by that same token, like it's like okay, but Sinnoh is a region, probably not the best region. Um, story, probably not the best story. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Uh, like on and on. So it's like I don't know why. Why would you remake these? Um, <laughs> They've been bested already, kind of. It maybe even better to remake the original fire. Uh, maybe even better to remake the re- original red and blue, or try mm. something else, or maybe put maybe leave the remakes behind for a while. Yeah, um, I honestly would not mind another remake of Red and Blue, and I think that would be the most successful, given how I think Pokemon Go proved that nostalgia is still there really strong. I mean, the original Red and Blue remake is now 13 years old. Oh my god. It came out of the GBA. It didn't even have, it didn't even have animations for the monsters. Gasp. I know. Like Primitive. So, that, happened, that happened ages ago at this point. Um, so no, the... If you're expecting a Diamond and Pearl remake <laughs> to be announced during that direct, I, I have bad news for you. It wasn't going <laughs> to happen. All right. It's going to, if they announce any kind of Diamond and Pearl remake, it will be after whatever happens on the Switch first. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, maybe wait till 2020. Okay. Ooh. And <laughs> also, newsflash, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire weren't that good. Yeah, I I enjoyed them, but I just did not go back to them once I was done. They were pretty underwhelming, all things considered. Like, after, once you got past the main story, man, ugh. And the difference between Sun and Moon Mm -hmm. and Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, like, night and day. Like, it's so much faster, so much more attractive. Like, the whole nine yards, I Mm -hmm. I don't know. All right, that's enough Pokemon. There's never enough Pokemon. Oh, I, I... I agree. There is not enough Pokemon. <laughs> All right, Nadia, let's touch really quickly on this report from Jason Schreier over at Kotaku. Jason did a massive story, essentially, of what happened behind the scenes, what went wrong with Mass Effect Andromeda. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it yet, strongly recommend that you take a look. Um. Yeah, you know, it's uh, about what I was expecting, Nadia. So pretty much there was no surprises, uh, although I'm sure it's good to have just the confirmation of uh, like a kind of a checklist of everything that went wrong. And it's a big checklist. (laughs) Yeah, well, when you looked at Mass Effect Andromeda, like it did feel a little underwhelming. I felt a little haphazard. I, I was not impressed by the new setting. It felt way too limited. And the stories that that come out during this like just confirm why Mm -hmm. like did you see what they were originally planning for this um something about no man's sky (laughs) (laughs) yes apparently they came up with a no man's sky kind of uh concept before no man's sky was even like even came out they should have waited a bit and this was like circa 2013 or so and they were going to have like hundreds of procedurally generated planets that you could go down with your Mako and explore. Oh boy. But with a Bioware style story. And that I mean, sounds really interesting, right? Mm hmm. Technically, but then we remember. Well, nothing, I don't even want to trash No Man's Sky too much because I, what they did on a technical level was pretty incredible. The problem was it was just so empty. Um, I'm just not that interested in procedurally generated worlds. I I would so much rather have just like a few really well-developed worlds to explore than something cobbled together by algorithms. And that's kind of what happened was they 
shrunk that down to about seven planets. <laughs> a nice manageable number. And they tried to, I mean, the planets were big-ish, but Ish. they all felt a little empty, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. And the, uh, the the environments weren't that interesting, ultimately. But what it, what it came down to, and this is the story of every, like, troubled AAA production, mm-hmm. was that they had a grand idea that proved not very workable mm-hmm. <laughs> in, like, the grand scheme of things. And had to scrap a lot and start over. Mm. And they, the original director left and they got a new director. And ultimately, they had to make this thing in 18 months. Ouch. That is I a mean, small frame of time. That is a small frame of time. And I'm guessing that also included bug testing, which might not have happened very much. Yes, exactly. Uh, there, there's a passage from here that I, I think is just really telling. It says, some said... What made the crunch worse in previous Mass Effect games was what the developers called regression. On a typical video game project, the last few months are devoted to polish, a phase of the game in which the developers can fix bugs, fine-tune mechanics, and improve existing content to make everything feel as smooth as possible. In the final months of many games that turn out to be good, developers say the game gets markedly better in the short final stretch. Mm-hmm. On Andromeda, however, everything just kept regressing. We'll put together everything, something together, and it's been bug tested and signed off and approved, said a developer. We'd say, okay, we can now move on from that to the next thing. And while our backs are turned, what we just put together falls apart. <laughs> oh, that's so heartbreaking. Which explains why Mass Effect Andromeda, like, so much was, like, kind of ugly. And, like, mm. there were, like, lots of weird glitches going on and there was a that stuff. There was just like this hilarious glitch I saw was, uh, when Easy Allies was playing the game and uh, they were doing some shooting sequence, I don't know, and he just saw this NPC, like, I swear to God, it was doing like a dabbing pose and it just kind of slid across <laughs> their field of vision. <laughs> it also explains why so much of like the story and the aliens and mm. like facial everything else felt really underwhelming i think the facial structures apparently they outsourced it to a company that made really great faces (laughs) but they couldn't figure out how to animate them properly whoops and then and then the frostbite engine like the frostbite engine was apparently a huge problem for them so yeah because the frostbite engine had never been used for an rpg before oh i didn't know that yeah so. so that was a learning experience wasn't it it was the frostbite engine like has proven to be kind of a challenging thing for a lot of games um uh which is interesting in the light of the fact that ea put a uh, put fifa on the frostbite engine yeah, last year I that. and it ended up suffering from significant input delay and in, which was a problem a huge problem on the xbox particular mm-hmm. and madden's moving over to it this year so uh, i'd be keeping a close eye on madden <laughs> <laughs> So uh, hopefully, uh, even though Mass Effect Andromeda did not work out so well in the end, again, it was a learning experience. Andromeda has its defenders. So I've heard. Uh, Here's another thing that they were kind of talking about, which was they basically split Bioware into three studios. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember hearing about that. Because there's one in Austin, there's one in Montreal, and there's one in Edmonton. And they're trying to coordinate this big project across three studios that aren't even in the same time zone. Oh, what a pain in the ass. It's it's hard enough with us working, like, in different time zones. Imagine, like, working on a huge AAA project in, like, these different time zones. Oh, man, just kill me now. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
having to get together the meetings and having to do like the video conferencing and having all of these problems. Meanwhile, the game's taking forever to make. Ugh, what a mess. Yeah, and it's just, you think about it, like, people don't think too hard about time zones, but when you have like families and you want to be done with the day and then someone else is telling you, okay, it's meeting time, and uh, I could see why that would just fall apart. What a world we live in. But as always, when a AAA goes wrong, it's usually because you're getting away from the original concept a lot and you don't have a really strong unified vision that takes you all the way through. Yeah. As a result, you end up in crunch and you're making a game in 18 months and you're pushing something out the door and then, of course, gamers are ruthless and will mm. immediately start picking it apart. Yeah. But yeah. Mass Effect and Andromeda's been improved. Like, they put out, like, patches to improve the, the faces and everything. And they've been fixing things up. But I don't know. Like, the game itself, like, I, I think... The very premise bugged me about that game. Mm-hmm. Like, I liked the idea of going into Andromeda, but, like, what they did with Andromeda was so boring. <laughs> it's the same damn enemies, like, except the enemies are worse and pale in comparison to the original enemy, uh, to the original races, who are all substantially more interesting. Mm-hmm. And the story itself wasn't that interesting either. I mean, ugh. Like, the villains were terrible. My God. Yeah, it's not as if, like, I've heard, oh, just the faces are weird, or, oh, there's bugs. Like, it's just... Because, I mean, there's plenty of games where people look weird, and, you know, there are bugs, but uh, it's still held together by the story, and the gameplay, and just the interesting dialogue. I just heard everything with Mass Effect Andromeda was just so meh across the board. Yes. So, uh, I don't know. And then, during the actual combat, like, there weren't enough enemy... wasn't enough enemy variety, and they would just do the whole, like... You're, they're spa- spawning waves of enemies who swarm at you, and I'm like, uh, how much more boring can you get? <laughs> it's, a, it's a shame, because I, I, I like Mass Effect, and I would like it to be successful, and I would like Bioware to be successful, mm-hmm. but Mass Effect Andromeda, not good. But I guess was, that's why they, they put the, the series on hiatus. I guess they really kind of have to retool everything now. Yeah, I guess so. Um, well, I mean, it's been speculated that it's been put on hiatus. Uh, well, right, they've moved official. a lot of people out of Bioware Montreal. Like, there's been a big shift. So mm-hmm. uh, so that they were speculating that would be on hiatus for the time being. But hope, good luck to them. Indeed. All right. Last bit of news. Um, apparently, this was leaked. Etrian Odyssey 5 and Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey localizations confirmed for the 3ds mm-hmm. and also a radiant historia remake for the 3ds was also confirmed so etrian odyssey 5 fans can let out a breath of sigh of relief assuming this is real because we have a release window for fall 2017 Nadia, are you excited so about are you excited about etrian odyssey 5 uh i am not an etrian odyssey fan what it's just just How can you not fan. be an Etrian Odyssey fan? I don't know. I'm more interested in about the, the SMT news because I was thinking about, like, now that I'm into Persona, I should really start getting more into SMT. But uh, Etrian Odyssey, eh, I don't know. I should probably give it another go. I just wasn't in- engaged the first time around. I know why. Why? It doesn't have much of a story. There you go. <laughs> I am read. I can be read like a book. But at the same time, like... I mean, the story, like, unfolds as you explore. Like, it's interesting. And also, there are the Etrian Odyssey Untold games. Um, I would especially recommend Etrian Odyssey 2 Untold. Mm-hmm. Because no. those actually have stories. Like, that has a story for you. 
yeah, okay, so I, I might give that a try. But I might even give a Train Odyssey 5 a try if it comes out, like, if it is a, a true thing. Like, sure, why not? Or if you don't want to do Etrian Odyssey 2, you could try Persona Q, Shadow of the Labyrinth. Uh, yeah, I was wondering about that one. That's kind of the, the same mechanic, isn't it? Yes, I like it. Mm-hmm. Because it unites the characters from Persona 3 and Persona 4 into one game. Oh, that's And fun. you're exploring... Um, you're exploring essentially a series of contained stratums. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And once you beat the final boss of one stratum, which kind of like comprises its own story, you move on to the next one. And there is there is more of a story. So what's the deal with Dancing All Night? Dancing All Night's a rhythm <laughs> game. <laughs> I should play that one. Rhythm A rhythm game bolted onto a, a visual novel? Okay, so now I'm really wondering what the hell, are, what kind of weird ass supplemental things are going to do with Persona Five. Hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I guess we'll see. Uh, if Persona, I mean, Persona Five proved to be pretty popular. Um, we'll see if the characters end up being as popular. And that was one of the reasons that they were able to do so much extra mm-hmm. because people loved that cast so much. That's true. That it was kind of natural, right? I mean, yeah. The Persona 5's cast doesn't pop as much to me, so. I've seen a lot of like a, a lot of people seem to really love them, so I'm I'm assuming maybe we'll see more stuff. But of course, that's just America. I don't know what Japan's reaction is like. More dancing, please. There's also going to be Radiant. Uh, sorry, there's also going to be the SMT Strange Journey Redux, which mm-hmm. uh, is nice because Strange Journey is one of my favorite SMT games. Um, how familiar are you with that one, Nadia? Uh, not very. When it comes to SMT, I'm basically I've dedicated all my funneled all my energies into learning about Persona, so I, I don't know too much about SMT. Well, uh, basically, it's... it's People liken it to the thing a little bit, but it's actually pretty different. Just It just happens to be in the Arctic. But essentially, <laughs> a this giant black hole kind of thing opens up in the Arctic. Cool. That's- and you go there with, like, a team of scientists and explorers go into them mm-hmm. and discover demons... <laughs> like you do and start exploring and like like you can recruit the demons and everything and mm-hmm. as you de- delve deeper and deeper into this black hole wormhole thing things get weirder and weirder and stuff like it's kind of etrian odyssey like um right because the dungeons are comprised different stratums and then as you get deeper and deeper you start running into stuff like there's a commercialization level, like you're in a shopping mall all of a sudden. <laughs> well, shopping malls are hell. I can confirm this, having been a custodian for one. Yeah, exactly. And there um, was a twisted labyrinth beneath it, now that I think about it. And it plays it plays heavily on established concepts of SMT, like there's, there's a religious aspect, and like one character ends up kind of embodying heaven, and the other kind of embodies like the chaos of mm-hmm. hell and that kind of thing, and... Like, you can choose, like, which one you want to kind of side with or if you don't want to go in that direction. Um, It's a really deep and interesting uh, uh, RPG, and I think it ended up speaking to me more than SMT4 because Mm -hmm. I like the setting a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely one you're looking forward to then. Yeah, well, I already finished the original on DS, so I don't necessarily know if I want to go back to it on 3DS. It's sort of like... I don't think it's going to look that much better on the 3DS, you know, so it's like, eh. So I'll, I'll play it. We can have an SMT report. Oh, my God. I think people <laughs> are a little SMT'd out right now. <laughs> oh, and here I am just starting to get into it. Did you ever play Radiant Historia? I did not. That I think that would be one that you would like. 
That, that is one that I would actually recommend for you. What was that for originally? Those were the DS. It came okay. out back. It came out in the U.S. back in early 2011. Okay, so I was probably too poor or something like that. But uh, yes, uh, I was. I remember doing the an ATB about it actually, bringing oh, really? an Atlas to talk about it. But yeah, um, a lot of people were comparing it to Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross originally because mm-hmm. there's a like a strong time travel aspect to it. Mm-hmm. You that can travel forward and backward through a timeline to alter the course of history. Mm-hmm. And that gives you like a lot of different endings. Oh, that does sound quite familiar. Yes. And the battle system is like this grid system. It's like a three by three grid. Mm-hmm. The enemy is standing in a slot and um, with some enemies spanning multiple slots. And um, basically moving around that grid is right. a large part of the strategy. But uh, really yeah. the story I ended up flying under the radar a little bit, maybe because it was late stage DS. Yeah, I remember hearing good things about it, and I remember wanting to play it, but I never got around to it. So, yeah, it's definitely one of those games I'm glad it's getting a re-release, because I can grab it this time around. Yes. Uh, it got generally very good reviews. Um, a lot of people were saying that it was one of the best RPGs to come out that year. Um, oh, ultimately, like, yeah, lots of B-pluses, uh, eights, nines, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, ultimately, like... A lot of people saw it as a great new example of an old school RPG, but it's oddly enough kind of forgotten. So this is one game I'm glad is coming out on the 3DS because mm-hmm. that is a game that I would like to download from the eShop and play. Yeah, so uh, I guess uh, besides Pokemon, um, that'll give the 3DS an extra life as well. Yes, no, exactly. I mean, if you're looking at this year in general, mm-hmm. uh, it's actually a pretty strong year for 3DS RPGs um, still. Uh, because not only hypothetically are you going to get these within the end of 2017, early 2018, mm-hmm. you're also getting Pokemon. Yes. And you're also, and you've already got Fire Emblem from earlier mm-hmm. this year. Um, yeah. And a lot of people ended up liking Fire Emblem, so. Yeah. And uh, just given how, like, Nintendo's having a really hard time keeping up with the uh, demand for the Switch, um, it's not a bad idea at all to just uh, really focus on the 3DS for until the end of the year. Well, I've said. I've said all the time that one of the things about this generation of games where we are now is that graphics maybe aren't as important unless you have a mm-hmm. true like super triple A experience. Yeah. Absolutely. Otherwise the bulk of the games, you look at the stuff that people are playing on steam and everything like they all, you know, they all could have been made 10 years ago or more. Stardew right? Valley, number one game. Yeah, exactly. SNES graphics. So in that respect, like the 3DS doesn't seem nearly as outdated as it might otherwise. It's still a great system. I Games am so still glad. look really good. I am so glad we live in this era of gaming because you and I both remember when the PlayStation was like, no 2D games allowed. <laughs> and I remember reading like old reviews for uh, Mega Man X on the PC. And of course, Mega Man X is one of the greatest action games of all time. And these reviewers were saying, why is this trash on the PC? This is a 2D bullshit game. But meanwhile, you got Sony uh, execs saying, why would you ever play this old game on the PS2 or PS1? They look so old. <laughs> oh, that's so depressing. I want to kill it. It really was pretty depressing. He, I think he was referring to Gran Turismo. Um, but of course, lots of like old school racing fans will like quickly jump out and say, hello, like old <laughs> games have old tracks and we can appreciate these mechanics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, but I digress. I, I think that a lot of older games hold up extremely well on the 3DS in particular. Mm-hmm. The 3DS, it's really kind of the ultimate expression of 
what you would want from old school Nintendo handhelds, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it has so many like great old Game Boy games on it. Uh, it has so you can play DS games on it anytime you want, which is because it has the backwards compatibility, which I use, by the way. So do I. I play Dragon Quest on my 3DS. I was playing Chrono Trigger on my 3DS. There you go. Uh, which, I mean, yeah, I was blowing up the, the image a little bit and washing it out, but I don't care. It's like, the no, fact that I'm I can do picky. that is cool. I'm happy. I've got like, uh, and, and of course, there's tons and tons of great, great 3DS games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what a great handheld. Yeah, um, despite its rough start, like I was worried there for a while, but uh, mm. I think at the end it'll be remembered really, really well. Nintendo was really aggressive with their uh, with what they did with the 3DS because they were like, uh, no, uh, this is our bread and butter. We're not letting this fail. Yeah, and I'm we're so super glad that they did that. I mean, I bought I got mine early, so I was part of the ambassador program, mm. but um, which was a nice gesture. Like uh, I'm mm. I'm glad they did that. I still yeah. have all those games. I wish I had gotten them. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> a lot of them never came out. Like, they put out GBA yeah. games and stuff. Yeah, know, they did. Drag. All right. Let's move on and talk a little bit about our uh, E3 2017 and what we are, our hopes and dreams for it. Hopes so we'll be right E3. back and don't go away. All right, Nadia, my hope and dream for E3 2017 is not to die. <laughs> There's no guarantees there, Kat. That's why it's a hope and a dream. Um, all right, so I'm going to just list out some things that I'm kind of hoping to see, and we will see like how it goes, all right? So okay. I would like to see literally any progress on Final Fantasy VII Remake or Kingdom Hearts 3. Yes, please. Uh, some kind of trailer? Some yeah, kind a of acknowledgement that things are happening. Something other than a still picture. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, that would be really nice. Maybe I, I could see that being at, say, the Sony press conference. Mm-hmm. I would like to see Bloodborne 2. I'm curious about that one. I feel yeah. like that could be 50-50. Yeah. I have Bloodborne. Uh, I just haven't played it. I don't think we're going to see anything. You don't think so? Uh, I, I don't know. I sh- the other I've been day, predicting I for a while it. that they would show it at PSX. That's true. But uh, the other day I retweeted a picture someone put up on uh, their Twitter account of Bloodborne Kart or Bloodborne Racing, something like that, <laughs> and said it was a leak from E3. The thing is, is that Miyazaki, like, he's not working on blo- um, Bloodborne. What's like, he, he handed on? it off. Like, he's working on other stuff right now. Mm. He's mm. working on other, like, he's done with Soulsborne, and he specifically said that he wants to make something else right now. Mm. He wants something to go back to From Software's rather quirky roots. Something happy and sunny and colorful. Wow, well, just make another Armored Core, man. <laughs> and make it pretty this time. Good luck with So that. I don't know, like, even if Bloodborne 2 is announced, like, it might actually end up being underwhelming. That's true. But, you know, some t- I don't necessarily believe that even if a series is handed off, that means it's going to... Well, then I, I think it's squeaking in, and I'm like, uh... Yeah, like you lose, start to lose the original vision. Like, you do. I think uh, there are people who are like super defenders of Dark Souls Two, and mm. like get really mad when you say that it's bad. And <laughs> no, it's not bad. It's not bad. But yeah. it's also the least good. The least good. That's a good way of putting it. It's it's the worst Dark Souls game, which is to say that is still amazing, but not as good not as best. any of the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I can I can appreciate that. 
All the Soulsborne fans are just like about to kick down my door, by the way. <laughs> They're just banging on it right now. start lecturing me. But if Bloodborne 2 is announced, I'm going to get John Learned on here and have him talk about it. Oh, he'll have things to say, I'm sure. Yes, he's our Soulsborne expert. And so is Matt, actually. So yeah, Matt's big He'll have it. things to say. He He's a big Soulsborne guy. So and we'll be recording an episode during E3 so that mm-hmm. we can be talking about that. I won't be there. I'm sorry, everyone. Besides that, um, I think the thing that I'm most interested to see is perhaps news out of um, news out of Bethesda. Mm, yeah, I want to see if they confirm anything that they're going to be working on RPG wise. Like <laughs> there was rumors of a Fallout in space. Now that oh, the Fallout can't get to the space, well, it's I guess like it goes Starfield. up to the stratosphere. <laughs> I mean. I would play a Fallout where you fly a spaceship and go from planet to planet in a heartbeat. But how would the, the post-apocalyptic theme But work? it wouldn't be a Fallout. It'd be a different thing. It's just in that oh, format. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Like Fallout style, but you're in space. Okay, that, okay. now I'm less confused. All right. <laughs> I understand spaceship, where you're coming from. That kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I don't think so. Like I, I think that's like a major long shot. I think it's, I don't know, like... It doesn't feel like this is the year. Probably not. I'm thinking something in the veins of Skyrim Remastered Remastered. <laughs> no, they're not going to do that again. Uh, Skyrim If you cubed. recall, Fallout 4 uh, got teased in 2015. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And formally, and they started the countdown right in time for the Bethesda um, mm-hmm. uh, press conference. And when that that timer ran to zero at the press conference and they did a giant reveal and then said it's coming out in like four months. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. That's their MO. I think that's what they're going to do. They have not been any hints at all that there's going to be a new RPG coming out. Mm -hmm. But I guess we'll see. Yeah, I think it's... uh, The the speculation is that their main focus is going to be the Evil Within 2, which is the, the game made by the guy who did Resident Evil 4 originally. Mm-hmm. and Wolfenstein yeah Wolfenstein is, is is very likely yeah so in which case um, I think I've said before like it's looking a little barren for RPGs I, I mean we're going to have Pokemon we're going to have uh, Etrian Odyssey 5 potentially uh, that's exciting but beyond that like a lot of the major players um, CD Projekt Red uh, yeah, Bethesda they're... Bioware uh, even Square Enix to some extent not really going to be kind of around, uh, I suppose, this fall. Everyone's kind of recovering, or in, in Square Enix's case, trying to make something. Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, yeah, there's going to be a Final Fantasy XII HD coming out this summer. Yeah, which I'm looking forward to. Yes, but uh, I, yeah, beyond that, like actually, it's a pretty barren schedule for Final for Square Enix in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my so. uh, my personal hope, uh, and this is something I wrote about on US Gamer, is that. Uh, Nintendo will give us another Zelda RPG in the vein of uh, A Link Between Worlds. Something that's like a, a remake, but like a really reimagined remake of a 2D Zelda game. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Link's Awakening? I Zelda think that... I think during the Nintendo Direct, like, like from what, what I can tell, like one of their main focuses is going to be like Fire Emblem Warriors. <laughs> Yay. They're going to be pushing Super Mario Odyssey and Fire Emblem Warriors. Super Mario Odyssey, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing. Fire Emblem Warriors, um, I'm really 
lukewarm on Musou games. So it's another Warriors game. Exactly. I don't understand why Nintendo is like, yeah, just keep putting these out. I think Hyrule Warriors did fine. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Uh, did they do another one? Did, was there a different one besides? Uh, I keep conflating Dragon Quest. No, Warriors. that's not Nintendo though. Dragon Quest Heroes, but that's not Nintendo. No. And Fire Emblem is like a natural fit for Nintendo, but ugh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Are, are there any other RPGs that we might see that I'm missing? Uh, I, I don't think... I can't recall anything off the top of my head. Like I said, everyone's kind of in a lull right now, which is fine. Everyone worked really hard over the past couple of years, but you know they need time to kind of reconvene and, and uh, reprogram and replan. But yeah. One of the sneaky, most interesting RPGs that are going to be shown is um yakuza 6 yeah that's true oh oh we did forget um octopath traveler is one we're probably going to see something about uh you think so i think so and xenoblade 2 it's supposed to be coming out this year no it's not what do you mean okay i know (laughs) this is hopes and dreams cat they didn't even show like anything it's like barely in pre-production well we might see something yeah no there's not going to be any Xenoblade this year. <laughs> not it's probably not even going to come out next year. Like we'll be lucky to see it next year. There's going to be the new Tokyo RPG Factory game. Oh, that of course. Lost Sphere. Lost. If Spear. you want to count, if yes, if you want to count, if you want to count Destiny Two as an RPG, that will be there too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be a biggie, I guess. But uh, Yakuza is, uh, I mean, I've watched my husband play Yakuza 0 and it looked like a lot of fun, so. Pillars of Eternity Deadfire will be there. That's true. Yeah, their Atlas is bringing 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim to the West. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a mecha game. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was originally shown at E3 2015. Uh, it seems to be a little different from your standard Vanillaware game. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, It's got like a bit of a darker and, uh, what about sort of that Vanillaware shade game that was reported the other day. Ooh, Most Vanillaware yes, games are like hyper-colorful. Vanillaware a game. More I, I forgot... I forget that yes, what that one's uh, called, but I'm actually really interested in it because, yeah, like, you have like a purple. I, I really enjoy and you have like a yellow game and that um, kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's not as vibrant, but it's still really interesting. Also, yeah. the characters aren't as over the top. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that. Like, the main character doesn't have her boobs exploding everywhere. <laughs> and, the of yeah, they look like normal people. <laughs> yeah, that's a little shocking. They're putting all the emphasis on the max and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really excited. I'm, like, I'm sure you are. I'm into Vanillaware and the fact that it has mechs and that kind of thing, super exciting. I don't think it's coming out this year. Probably not. But I'm glad that it's being, uh, I'm glad that it's coming out at some point in the near future. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing more about it. Yeah. So beyond that, yeah, you know, I, I suppose that we could see some kind of really interesting announcement, but. Nothing is springing to mind necessarily right now. I mean, sure would be nice to see like Knights of the Old Republic or something that like that coming mm-hmm. uh, coming back. But I think that in terms of really exciting RPG news, um, it's going to be a little subdued this year. 
Yeah, and I guess that's not so bad. Uh, you're going to have enough on your plate. Yeah, no, God knows. God knows <laughs> I totally will. I mean, just covering all the stuff coming out of, like, EA with, like, I'm actually legitimately looking forward to Battlefront 2 mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So uh, maybe it will be less of an RPG-filled world. But you know what? We still got uh, plenty of games to play. We really right? do. Like, I can't complain too much. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we did get our Persona 5 earlier this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you still got to get to that. Oh, God. Yes, I do. And then, of course, Final Fantasy XIV. Um, the big Final Fantasy XIV expansions coming mm-hmm. out. We just got the Elder Scrolls Online expansion. And then once this fall comes out, Etrian Odyssey 5 is going to keep me plenty busy. Okay, as usual, we are going to be going through some of the comments that were from the previous episode. One person, Step Out, says, Should any disciples stumble upon the Deadfire of Archipelago while questing at E3, it would be nice to hear a thing about how things are going there. Also say hi to Edder for me. God, Blood God be praised. <laughs> Referring, of course, to the Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire. Um, I will definitely try to get a look at it. Um, I'm pretty busy, but... <laughs> I'm excited for Pillars of Eternity too, and that I believe actually is coming out this fall. So there you go. That's another there, there big you go. one. We're all it's right. going to be a lot of the smaller, mid-sized RPGs, right. and which is fine with me. God knows indies, that kind of thing. Oh, Divinity Original Sin too. Mm, there you are. I can't forget that one. Oh no, Nadia, be excited. <laughs> be excited. We're going to do that in co-op, and it's going to be great. I look forward to it. <laughs> so As try not falls. to try to restrain your enthusiasm, Nadia. <laughs> It's good for me to expand my horizontals. Um, we were talking about Elder Scrolls Online last week, and mm-hmm. Talrayan says, Your comments about MMOs remind me of when Ultima Online first came out. A big Ultimate fan, I was super excited about a game that was just an alternate world to inhabit. Turns out that it launched the gameplay mostly consisted of being murdered by more powerful players <laughs> and having them steal your stuff. <laughs> when I have a friend who was big into Ultima Online back like when it was a big thing and um, one of the he was telling me the story and he sounded so like upset when he told it to me but I was trying not to laugh because he basically gave a, a really expensive sword to a blacksmith to appraise and the blacksmith took off with it and I'm dying <laughs> because I'm thinking of that bit in The Simpsons where Homer goes to New York and he's trying to talk to the cop about how something of his got stolen and the cop's nodding sympathetically and just grabs a suitcase and runs <laughs> <laughs> this is this is literally the second Simpsons reference to the same article in one episode. <laughs> I have a million of them. I'm pretty impressed. But he said, which is to say, I always wanted what you want out of MMOs, but I've had it repeatedly beaten into me why we will never have it. People are the worst. Embrace the theme park. <laughs> Fair enough, I guess. Um, though, of course, I like that EVE Online happens because there's so many great stories. Is there? Oh, God, yes. Have you looked at those, all the EVE Online stories? They're incredible. Oh, I think you told me about those. Yeah, they're, they're pretty impressive. Yeah, that's an amazing game. Uh, Donald T. reminds me that Monster Hunter X did come out in the West. It was called Monster Hunter Generations. Oh, that's right. Yes, that completely like flew out of my mind. That's crazy. No, uh, Monster Hunter, like I said, is something I'm, I'm going to get into. And, I mean, I was talking about Monster Hunter XX or Cross or whatever the hell they're calling it. That's another game that's coming out soon and later, I'm sure. It's not yes. Um, well, I was saying that Nintendo was going to have its two killer apps in Monster Hunter and Pokemon. They're going to have to wait a little longer for the Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Alas. 
uh, Terry Donnie Jr. Sr. says, So I Am Setsuna had bland characters, music, battle system, and wasn't cozy enough? I like that. I think US gamers <laughs> should impl- implement coziness as a regular grading criteria for the reviews from now on. It's like uh, graphics, uh, sound, fun factor, coziness. Yes. Ingen- interesting in general. Uh, and then speaking of I Am Setsuna... Moroboshi says, the dreadful music in I Am Setsuna killed it for me. Music is such a big part of RPGs. Whoever thought monotonous solo piano was a good idea for the entire game really needs to find a new career. It was <laughs> truly awful. <laughs> was it that bad? It wasn't that bad. No, the music itself, like I said, like it was fine. It was very pretty, but the fact that they used it so much really called attention to the fact, hey, we're just getting a piano. And I, you know, with with, with RPG music, yes, you do have to strike that that careful balance uh that's why i guess so many either opt for these really rich orchestrated soundtracks to the whole thing or else they just kind of hold off and, and go for the more sparse sort of uh environment you have with like skyrim and, and breath of the wild hmm. and finally the challenger says i am setsuna but it has one of the most bland bestiaries i've ever come across the original final fantasy had a broader and more diverse enemy set and that game came out a hundred years ago <laughs> wow a hundred I mean, no, it's I, not I, wrong. Like, a great bestiary can be really important to an old-school RPG like this. No, I totally agree. Um, there's only one enemy that stands out to me in that game, and it was basically a big sort of uh, plesiosaur, but had, like, an orca for a head. And I thought that was really awesome. I mean, if you if you look at it, like, Pokemon, in many respects, is descended from Dragon Quest, and that Dragon mm-hmm. Quest has an amazing bestiary. Absolutely. Like, I would say that the be- the monsters are the real... <laughs> The real stars of Dragon Quest, right? Oh, uh, 100%. Um, I I like Akira Toriyama very much, but his human designs are, are really boring. I I really enjoy his monster designs. Yes, no, they're so interesting to look at, it, right? And they're like mm-hmm. so whimsical and fun. They remind me like of the kind of stuff I draw as a kid, except they're like just really well put together. Because when yes. you're a kid, you draw like an idiot, but he, he just puts all these pieces together so nicely. Mm. I love it. Hmm. And then, of course, Final Fantasy also has its amazing bestiary. Like. Yeah, you know what? I was never a fan of the original Final Fantasy, uh, but I just loved the uh, the way it adapted uh, Yoshitaka Amano's original designs. It did it really well. But and if you look at SMT, like, yeah, they're basing it a lot on, like, established mythology and everything, but that is also, like, an amazing, mm-hmm. has an amazing bestiary with a lot of very familiar faces, starting with Jack Frost. <laughs> I love Jack Frost. There was Evil. I was playing I was playing Persona Five and I came up against King Frost and I made him enraged, and he was just like kill all humans, hee ho, kill all humans, hee ho, over and over again. <laughs> it was fantastic. See, like, like the person the they all have personalities. They're all really mm-hmm. interesting. They they aren't just some randos that you're fighting. Like, yeah, they give color and texture and character to the game. Yeah, even now with Persona 5, even though I'm like 100 hours in, I always feel a little bit bad when like enemies start begging for their life, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to spare you, I have no use for you, but I feel bad, and then I kill them. I mean, and then it goes all the way back to D&D, for God's mm-hmm. sake, like, mm-hmm. where you had whole books full of monsters. Yeah, I have, um, even though I don't play D&D, I have like the, 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 Draconip- the Draconicon, <laughs> <laughs> basically the Book of Dragons. Hmm. Oh man, that sounds. I mean, so you could just look at dragon porn, essentially. Basically, that's one hundred percent what it is, just without the <laughs> the actual literal porn, because that that does exist. I'm sure. I haven't okay. looked too hard into it. 
<laughs> All right. And with that, Axe and Bloodgod is a US Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts are sold. Please do me a favor. Leave us a review. If you enjoy the podcast, tell us why you're enjoying the show. We love to hear from you. Many ways to connect to us. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at USGamerNet. Follow, find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot and Nadia at Nadia Oxford. Send us an email if you want to hear, if you want us to read your email on the show at usgamer at usgamer.net. Uh, feel free to comment on what we were talking about during the show. We would love to hear your thoughts on E3, Etrian Odyssey 5, uh, Final Fantasy, whatever, Persona. <laughs> Talk about any RPG you want, to be perfectly honest. Uh, if you if you if you really want that Pokemon Diamond and Pearl remake, we want to know why. Yeah, justify your your decision. No, seriously, why? I, I don't understand. <laughs> Help Cat understand. Be a good citizen. Look at it this way: if we went back to Diamond and Pearl, I would want to get rid of all of the Pokemon that came before that came after that. Really? Like I would want a Diamond and Pearl remake mm-hmm. that did not have any of the new monsters. Hmm, that's an interesting. I would want to go back to the 490 some monsters that were in Diamond and Pearl. Why would I want to do that? Because I think Diamond and Pearl, like that was the perfect Pokedex. Okay? You finished with Arceus, and that was it. You didn't need to go any further. You had God. Yeah, he was God, wasn't he? Yes. There are great monsters in Gen 5, Gen 6, Gen 7. Don't get me wrong. There are some amazing monsters. But... I just don't, I think that it was superfluous. Like, there were only so many monsters that you could come up with at a certain point. And as in terms of, like, the breadth and depth of the monsters, I just really liked, like, the thing that was nice about Diamond and Pearl, like, everybody was like, oh, Diamond and Pearl's uh, Pokedex was the worst. Well, I heard that. Yeah, but it also refined a lot of monsters that needed refining, like, from Gen 2. Like, <clears throat> uh, Gligar, or whatever, became Gliscor and became, like, much better like this bat thing with like a scorpion tail um uh, mammo swine became a thing um i love mammoth swine uh became like this giant mammoth mm-hmm. that was a lot more fun a lot more interesting um uh, so on and so forth like so many like good evolutions came out of diamond and pearl That's like true. they refined the pokedex in a lot of respects and yeah like some of the stuff like what was it per ugly and skun tank. Hey, I like skun tank. <laughs> We're not that great, but we also had crow gunk. Oh God, did we ever? Ugh. So you're gonna you're gonna bash on on skun tank, but like, but you're you're pro you're pro crow gunk. Is that what I'm hearing? Oh yeah, here? toxic croak's great. Ugh. And it had a good like uh, first three starters. That's true. Even the anime was great. Like I the anime. Was the best anime since the first uh, first since the original first season? I'm actually blanking. There's starters that that wasn't Piplup, was it? That was Piplup. Uh, you had Infernape, and you oh. had uh, the turtle. Okay, okay, yeah, I remember now. And uh, I've seen pictures of Piplup, like in uh, that uh, fan art of that poor that poor uh, penguin in Japan who's like heart sick for this anime cutout. Someone <laughs> drew that scene just with Piplup like agonizing over a cutout of his trainer. It was so sad. My point is that that was perfect. And then power creep became a huge thing in later games, like tons more legendaries. Yeah. Um, it was just in a much better place with Diamond and Pearl. And I really liked 
stuff that they introduced, like the choice scarf, which made you faster and locked in, but at the expense of locking in your moves. Um, I really liked that they introduced like U-turn, like mm-hmm. they like the variety and depth of the teams were really interesting. Diamond and Pearl was the first time that they introduced the concept of like in the original Ruby and Sapphire certain classes were always a certain type of move so like fire was always special attack and mm-hmm. fighting was always um physical right which meant that certain monsters were just screwed because <laughs> they could not get a good same type attack bonus from uh their moves because they like arcanine was like m- maybe not arcanine was a, a bad example there's some monsters that just were screwed Mm-hmm. And then that was no longer the case in Diamond and Pearl. Like, it changed move sets. Like, Gyarados became very different. Like, right. Gyarados went from using flying moves to using water moves. Like, the the current Gyarados set had its genesis in Diamond and Pearl. Yeah, I, I really liked that. Diamond and Pearl. And if we went back to Diamond and Pearl, like, I don't necessarily care about the region. The region's nice. It had some good music. The story was okay-ish, but I really just want to go back to the days of 493 monsters. Wow, to think that was a small number at some point. <laughs> anyway, if you have thoughts on that, uh, talk to me in the comments or send me an email, usgamer at usgamer.net. Beyond that, yeah, US Gamer is heading to E3 2017. Ooh. We will be covering all of the press conferences. We will be live blogging. We will be following all of the news and having all of the reactions uh, we will be on the social medias, uh, so follow us on Twitter at USGamerNet and Facebook, and you will have all of the updates, and of course, follow everybody <laughs> on the good old-fashioned US Gamer team. I'm going to do a follow Friday so that you know how to reach everybody so that you can be in touch with the entire US Gamer team. We are going to be so goddamn busy. We're going to run around till our eyeballs fall out, running and running and running and running. <laughs> Not me. I'll be sitting at home. As uh, Weird Al, you would say, like a constipated wiener dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's an image. So yeah, look forward to that. And so That's going to be an entire week. I, I cannot wait. I am, in fact pretty excited so and by the way uh i will be bringing my microphone down with me so i will be looking to record an episode of acts of the blood god mm-hmm. with mike and matt while we are at the show so that we can comment on all of the rpg stuff that ends up coming out of the show who knows there could be quite a few really good announcements yeah you know what e3 is all about surprises and i'm looking forward to it yes that is indeed. Until then, we'll be back next week. We're probably considerably more tired because uh, we are <laughs> going to be recording toward the end of E3. Uh, but look forward to that. We'll be back next week as always. Thanks for listening. And until next time, for Nadia and myself, happy adventuring. <laughs>